Hello humans, welcome to the M-Word, the Manx Ford podcast brought to you by Martin, that's me. I'm Matt. That's him. Hello Matthew. Martin. We're going straight into it today. Yep, sounds good. The intro is, uh, maybe on laziness on my part, is uh, Billy Mills winning the 10,000 metres in 64. Our guest Andy Fox, I don't know whether you remember that particular um, I I don't remember it, but I know of it because obviously um ron clark was one of my big heroes as a youngster as a runner and he got the bronze medal and that was his only olympic medal in that particular race um, and I argue that it was a travesty because he was one of the great um distance runners but he never won an olympic title all uh, right okay well the part of the reason of picking it was we we used it for the intro for keith and obviously you know keith and when we spoke to keith he, he talked about uh, really, he only ever started running because of the phone call you made to him to say, come down and participate. And again, when we look at our podcast and chat to people and people that help with grassroots, that kind of just probably changed the trajectory of his life. That that one phone call, you went out your way to, to, to get him involved. So because it was him, you, you obviously did a lot of 10,000 meters, which we'll get into. So we just thought it was quite a nice tie in to, uh, to, to that. So so thanks for joining us today. Uh, like we ask most guests when we kick, or all our guests when we kick off, is uh, whether you're a come-over, Manx, 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 or Manx to the Hills? <laughs> I'm a come-over. Right, okay. So where were I you? I actually had that shouted at me at a, at a prize presentation <laughs> when I was uh, going out with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and I'd come over to the island and I ran in the Millennium Way relay, and um, the guys who I was running with knew that I was a decent runner, and um, we won the Millennium Way relay that year, and I went up to get my my uh, trophy with the team and um yeah i was greeted with come over <laughs> being <Yeah. chef." laughs> i uh, think you're along long enough now to be considered oh, a yeah. i'm a stopover now so yeah all right yeah okay yeah, maybe we need to add that to the to the question so your early years where were you brought up uh, i was born um well my family are all from northamptonshire from northampton itself um but uh, i was born just over the border in leicestershire in a place called market harbour and the family lived in a village called uh, Kibworth. And right. my dad was um, basically a gas fitter and was working his way up. Um, well, it wasn't British gas then, it would have been Midland gas or whatever, working his way up the promotion ladder and becoming um, like managers of different areas. And um, hence we moved around quite a lot when I was a kid. Did your parents do much sport? Were they an influence uh, in my area? Yeah, not, not really. My, my dad um, was definitely um, a runner um, when he was younger and when he was in the army um, and had a few decent results, but um, you know, it was cross-country type stuff. Mm -hmm. It wasn't track or anything like that. Um, but when he left the army, he did about a year where he ran for um, the, the, the club at Northampton. Um, but then um, after that, you know, work took over because I think back in the, you're probably back now in the late 40s, early 50s. Um, so, you know, obviously people had to work pretty hard back in those yeah, days, yeah. rationing and all that stuff uh, still being around. Um, my mum, she played sport at school, but again, um, as soon as she left school, when she, 
she uh, matriculated from the point of view she could have gone to university but there was no money in the family or anything like that so she had to go straight to work um so basically you know they're a working family basically um so um but they were very much involved in in youth work um my mum later in uh, a bit later in life got a job as a um a careers officer in schools and they both worked in um cub scouts and boy scouts um and then also my mum worked later on in uh, working with the brownies and and, uh, right, okay. and uh, young people in those areas so so they did an awful lot with young people but not necessarily sporting themselves they did lots of walking hill walking stuff like right. that not organized sport really and you, and what's your first recollections of your interaction with sport um my first recollections of sport is um every day at school playing football in the morning on the yard playing football at break time football at lunchtime football after school having tea going out playing football any good at football is the question um not particularly i could run around a lot could get in the way i played from the school team a few times but i wasn't a regular over the years um but basically as a, as a primary school kid we're just mad playing football all the time. We lived in a place at the time called Barmouth on the west coast of Wales. And um, that's where my, most of my primary school years were. And um, dad was by then um, the manager at the, uh, the gas works and the um, gas showroom in, in Barmouth. And um, basically it was, a, it was an idyllic place for a kid to grow up, a kid who loved the outdoors. So, you know, we'd be up in the hills, we'd be on the beach, we'd be... Um, up to no good all over the place yeah, right, yeah. as well as playing football whenever we had the chance and of course this is probably you know we're talking when I was about eight nine ten years old so this is like within two three years of England winning the World Cup oh. so our eyes you know England is the best place to to be if you're interested in football because you know, you're obviously going to be a, a professional footballer if you were English because England was so good and all this you know obviously it wasn't wasn't the case none of us became professional footballers however we had a, a great time what about the athletic side of thing when did that start coming that, in? that didn't start till secondary school um, we moved from Barmouth to a place called Newtown in mid Wales and um, it's probably the closest big town actually is Shrewsbury to it really Shrewsbury or Oswestry over in, in Shropshire and um, I, did, I had no idea about this. My parents had no idea about this. We moved to this place, Newtown. Um, it was a development town um, and it was a promotion for dad. Um, and the high school, Newtown High School, I went to the primary school there for a short period of time, then on to the high school. Um, they hosted the um, Welsh schools cross-country championships every year. Um, they were the host school and they were for many, many years. Um, and, you know, I had no idea about that. And the, the teacher there, um, I don't remember his first name. His name was Mr. Evans. We we're all petrified of him. Um, but basically, you know, I look back now and that's where my grounding as an athlete came because we used to have um, PE lessons and games lessons um, as, as kids do now. But uh, for a period of time, um, our PE lesson was a lesson called running around the school. <laughs> which right. was around the school it was about probably about a mile or a mile and a half maximum maybe less i don't know and they used to run a time trial every week in that lesson for about six weeks 
And of course, we all got quite fit. And then in our games lessons for about four or five weeks, we would do cross country, which was basically a race around the cross country course. Then we would have the school championships. Then we'd go to the county championships. And of course, eventually you'd go to the Welsh championships. Well, in year, in year seven, first year, um, uh, I got involved in all of that. I found that I was getting better because I wasn't the best, but I was getting better over the weeks. And in the cross country championships, I came second in the school champs. And that's the last time I came second in a school championship cross country. Wow. Um, I, after that, I always won them wow. um, against the older lads. But basically, um, that's where it, it, it got started. You know, I, I kind of realised that I wasn't, I wasn't going to be the best footballer or cricketer or rugby player, although being quite tall, I was always going to be in the rugby team um, in Wales, obviously. Um, but um, I, I could do well at cross country. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of where it all started. And was that um, coming more from you were enjoying the sport or as a kid, you liked winning that made you carry on? I liked winning. <laughs> I'm, there's, there's, there's certain runners who I describe as kind of adventure runners. You know, they do it for the adventure, for the fact that they like to go out and test themselves and, you know, how many marathons can I run? I would never be able to run 19 marathons in 19 days like Christian. Um, but I, I, I'm sort of, of a, I'm, a, I'm of the ilk where I have to go out and try and run as fast as I can run. Um, so, you know, I might come 55th or I might come 5,000th, but if I can say to myself, that was as fast as I could run, mm. uh, and I'm happy with what I've achieved. And are, so, you, are you competitive by nature? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, have, we have family quizzes now, Zoom right. quizzes. Um, I came equal last last night because um, basically it was a load of stuff I didn't know anything about. That's my, uh, that's my excuse. But usually <laughs> I have to try and be, if not winning, I have to try and do well in them. So I am a little bit, yeah, obsessed with trying to do well. Um, that's always been, you know, something that drives me, drives mm. me off. And is that uh, at that age then when you're running, you look back, was that you, do you think you matured? before others of your age or you just had a big engine or just trained harder or um, well, well there, was no, there was no training I, oh, I didn't okay, okay. until um, 1976 when I finished my O levels all oh, right um, okay basically there was no club um, wherever I lived in, in Wales it quite, these are quite rural areas there were no, there was no club um, you know the best I ever got was um, a football club in Newtown joined we had a football club our estate um but there was there was no club there was no training so basically it was all what you did yourself i mean we used to play athletics um at newtown um basically we would run 100 meter races 200 meter races they weren't 100 meters it was like um there was yeah. this that went through our estate and there was one straight it's probably about 60 meters long so that was 100 meters oh yeah yeah 800 meters was to run right to the end of the pathway which is probably about Probably what it's probably further than 800 actually, and then turn around and run back. And we used to, have, we used to run races, and that's what we used to play. Um, so, um, yeah, so uh, no training as such. Um, the only training, I suppose, was basically what the PE teachers got us to do in our, in our PE and games. Yeah. Of course, this school had uh, a reputation for 
producing good cross-country runners. And, what was the reason for that? Um, they, they held the they held the school uh, sorry the Welsh Championships there. So it just so therefore came focus. It was a bit of a kudos thing for the school, yeah. and they wanted um, Montgomeryshire, which was the county, which is quite a small county, but they wanted Montgomeryshire to do well, and obviously uh, Newtown High School students to do well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, this, the end of that kind of story is um, 1974. I ran in the Welsh Schools Championships. Um, and I came sixth. Um, I come third in the county, and I should have won that. Um, I, I still know about it now. You learn lessons. You don't get you? <laughs> I went home for lunch. Mum gave me beans on toast. <laughs> massive beans on toast meal. And about an hour and a half later, I ran the county cross country championships, and I lost in the sprint finish, and I had stitch for about the last mile. And oh. it, Still annoys me now. I'm <laughs> mortified um, afterwards. But you know, I didn't need to ask that competitive question two minutes ago. I think I've just figured that out. Yeah, yeah. And in the Welsh camps, obviously those guys were nowhere near me. But you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd rather be six in the Welsh champs. To be honest with you, that was that was you know for me that was a big thing. Yeah. Um, but it all stalled at that point for me. Really, uh, athletics. A little bit. How come? Um, we moved. <laughs> right. uh, moved um, at the Easter, so basically the Welsh champs were in about March or late February. Um, schools champs, then we moved to Colwyn Bay, um, and I was a fairly quiet kid, really. Um, I think many people would find that hard to believe now, but anyway, um, <laughs> fairly quiet kid, a bit shy, um, didn't push myself forward, and so um, I didn't get involved in any of the athletics that summer at school. I just kind of watched the other kids doing it. Yeah, uh, right. Because no one knew that I'd, I was a decent runner or anything like that. Um, in yeah, was, that was, was that because the kind of ethos that you were saying from your previous school was because of that kudos they had? They were always kind of the yeah. programs or what courses or classes they had was running orientated, whereas you've gone to this new school and it's, and it's, uh, I, it's completely different. Yeah, you're right. Um, the the school that I went to was basically a football school. Um, it was all about football, and I was decent enough, but I wasn't that good. Um, and um, in the summer, uh, I mean, basically, you did um, athletics in your PE lesson, so you, you did that. And I I I did reasonably well in PE lesson, but I never pushed myself forward. Nobody ever asked me to. No one ever said you should try this or whatever. So so I didn't. Um, and then in the autumn. Um, of so that that would be that was the end of year nine so at the beginning of year 10 um, basically um, I got involved with the rugby team and I got to know the um, the PE teacher who took the rugby team was Mr Cuffin and um, basically um, a few of my mates um, you know got to make a few friends I didn't make many friends when we first moved to um, to, to Colwyn Bay I um, I, I didn't really want to go there. I wanted. I was planning all the summer holidays on my bike to ride back to Newtown and right. to be with my mates. Um, it never quite happened, but you know that was that was my plan. Um, so um, so in the autumn, I got to know Mr. Cuffin. A few of my mates found out that I was um, a, a decent runner or had been, and so um, on a particular day, I remember Mr. Cuffin finding me in school. This is probably now about February, saying. Um, do you want to run in a cross-country race? So I said, 
yeah, like this. And he said, right, you, you need to get your kit. So I said, why? He said, it's this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I, I, I borrowed kit off people because I, I couldn't, you know, it was a long way home. I couldn't just go home. You couldn't ring your parents then. They, wouldn't, they couldn't come in or whatever they're at work. So um, I borrowed kit off people. I borrowed a pair of trainers. And um, I ran this race, no training or whatever. And I was just in the leading pack. And we're coming back with probably about a mile to go going through a load of muddy puddles and a trainer came off in the puddle because it wasn't my trainer. So oh. I had to go back and, and find the trainer, which wasn't easy because it was really deep, found the trainer and then finish. But I, I managed to come about sixth or something like that in that race, um, qualified to run for the area in the county championships um, and then um, qualified to run in the Welsh schools. Now, I didn't run particularly well. I was the younger of the age group. But it got me back, back into in. this is a guy who runs cross country yeah. and yeah, yeah. knew that. And to be fair, Mr. Cuffin needs um, a mention because um, basically he took me to races and he kind of, you know, kept me going if you like. Yeah. Um, and then sixth form, it kind of all blossomed really. Yeah. So when you went to sixth form, and obviously you eventually had a career in in uh, teaching, was that something on your mind when you went to? No. No, um, sixth form was, yeah, sixth form, well, there wasn't a plan, really. Right. That was the plan. <laughs> yeah. um, sixth form, I, I, um, I ran, <laughs> another ridiculous story, I ran steeplechase. I was supposed to run, um, I won the 1500 when I was in year 10 um, against the year 11s in the school sports. And I was supposed to do the 1500 in the area sports. Um, but they decided at the school they were going to pick the guy from year 11 because he was ill on the day of the, um, of the school sports. So they reckoned he'd be quicker in the, um, in the area sports. Um, now, as history proves, that wasn't the case. But anyway, that's what they believed. Um, so I was told um, I could do the steeplechase. <laughs> this is a week before the steeplechase. Yeah, I've never done one before, I assume. I've never done one before. So um, I, I could hurdle though, because I, I, you know, I'd done a bit of hurdling at school. Can um, I, but before you go into that story, can I can I ask a question about the steeplechase? Where it comes from to have randomly, you know, a couple of hurdles and water around? What, where's the where's the backstory? It's, it's basically the cross country race on the track. Oh right, okay. In the Olympics, they used to have um, a cross country in the right. Olympics, going back to 1908, 1912, uh, 1920, the early Olympics. Um, and basically the cross-country race, uh, there was a steeplechase as well as a cross-country back in those days, right. um, but um, the cross-country was dropped from the Olympics and the steeplechase kind of took that role. Yeah, right. okay. yeah. um, because if you think about cross-country, um, you think about running on the road, basically you're running um, a pretty consistent, fast pace all the way. You think about cross-country, you're going up hills, round corners, down hills, through rivers, so it's yeah. stop and start. And the steeplechase is the same. Every hurdle, you slow down into it, although you, you, you try to keep the pace going, and then you pick the pace up afterwards. Mm -hmm. So basically, there is a stop and start element to the steeplechase. Yeah, right. okay. Yeah, okay. Different form of running, basically. Yeah, okay. Is, yeah. When you were being asked about the steeplechase, most of those your racing you've mentioned there were cross-country. So were you just primarily doing cross-country before this, or were you just doing 
athletics as a whole but, um, and racing? Yeah, I did athletics as a whole. Basically, I was a pretty good uh, long jumper, triple jumper. Um, and um, uh, I could high jump reasonably well also. Um, so, um, and I could sprint, you know, I was quite fast um, and I could hurdle. So they sort of said about the steeplechase um, and I kind of thought, well, yeah, why not? So I, I gave it a go. Um, guys who run the steeplechase, 1500 steeplechase, I think I ran about 4.56 for the first one I ran. Um, and then the next year, still wasn't training, the next year when I was in year 11, um, I won the county championships at Steeplechase, uh, went to the Welsh champs and came third, um, mm. around 4.37, um, which is a decent, you know, decent enough time. I mean, guys run a lot quicker than that. Uh, so, yeah. Sorry, how, how, what's the distance for this, um, your normal Steeplechase? We're on the 17s, it's 1,500 metres. Um, then uh, in the under 20 age group, it's 2,000. Um, although um, today, sometimes they run 3,000, but 2,000 used to be the championship distance. And then for seniors, it's 3,000. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so um, that's that summer of 1976. Um, obviously there was the Olympics in Montreal. So I was watching that. Um, there was, um, the fact that I come third in the Welsh champs, um, I'd done me um, GCSE, uh, well, O-levels, and the decision was, well, if I, if I get back to school, um, I'm going to sort of, you know, push my running. I'm going to, you know, I, I, what, what's the point of me playing rugby? I, I'm built like that. You know, yeah. I basically get hammered every time. <laughs> Although I, I, I loved playing rugby, but you know, I wasn't, you know, going to, I wasn't robust enough, really. Um, so but I could, I could run. And the PE teachers, when I went back to school, said that I could train in PE lessons unless I wanted to, to do the actual sport that they were doing at, at, um, at um, sixth form. So that summer, I, I, just, I just basically trained. So I basically trained 40, 50 miles a week all summer. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just going out for a run. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, then that um, following autumn, um, I ran well over cross country at school in area championships, county championships, and then um, the following um, uh, spring, I came eighth in the in the Welsh champs again. So I was kind of getting back up there in Wales, and then um, the following summer, I won the um, Welsh schools championships as a year twelve right. um, in all the year thirteens. So, um, but. The thing that irked me was I never got selected to represent Wales at anything. Right. Um, so there, there's a little bit of uh, a sort of dichotomy between North Wales and South Wales, a little bit. Um, plus also there were maybe faster lads down south, I don't know. But obviously I hadn't seen them because I'd beaten them all in the, um, in the school. Yeah, right. Um, so in 78, I decided I was going to um, overcome that issue. And um, I went to the three A's championships, the Welsh three A's championships. And I won, I retained my Welsh schools title and I won the three A's championships. And that summer I got selected for Wales um, three times. And then in the winter, I'd come fourth in the Welsh champs. I'd been selected for Wales under twenties as well. So, um, so I suppose my name was getting a bit, a bit yeah. more known, shall we say. Yeah, and how, how was that um, represent, representing Wales? As... Yeah, it was a bit weird in a way, because um, 
um, if ever England played Wales, and of course you had the home internationals then and, and stuff like this, not just in rugby, but in football. So I would always be, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm English basically, as simple as that. So um, I would always be uh, particularly uh, vehement that England, you know, should win and hammer Wales and all this sort of thing. Um, but um, I was proud to, to represent Wales because obviously it's where I went to school and, and it's the people that I was was working with and by then a club had started in Colwyn Bay um, in the summer of 1977 a club started um, it wasn't particularly um, you know there, there wasn't a lot of expertise in the club um, but there were people going out of their way to help people like me get to races and stuff like yeah, that because it was good that's what I was going to ask there was before you said that you know you were just going out and running and not having any training so presumably even to get to a Welsh team without did you have any training at that point or was it still just you were just just running in a sense yeah by i mean obviously i won the welsh schools um steeplechase and i basically ran um a few sorts of sessions that i knew other people were doing because i by this stage had realized a thing called athletics weekly and i could buy that and there was right sessions in there right. so I, I was kind of making things up from what I could read and find out from other people um, and then um, in the summer of 77 um, the club started a guy called Richard Llewellyn Eaton um, set the club up and then another guy called Arthur Bebbington um, they both started to look after the athletes and basically started to run a few more sessions and so come 1978 um, I would say I was a more um, complete athlete really in the sense that I was um, exercising more of the energy systems in my body rather than just going out running and being very good aerobically but not so good otherwise. So just reading through the notes here you mentioned one of your big aims was the Welsh AAA under 20 title. Yeah, that was 1978. Yeah. Um, so um, I went down there and um, basically I was the only North Walesian in that race. And um, uh, there were quite a few guys from South Wales, names that I knew who were, you know, well-known uh, runners. A um, couple of people who, who, you know, fancied their chances over the steeplechase, who were going to give it a go as well. And um, uh, it's one of those, you have days where everything just goes clicks and just goes well and um, I remember it really well because it rained um, just before the start of the race and I've been warming up and feeling okay um, and it started to rain and it was quite a warm evening and I didn't mind the rain because I don't I, I didn't like the heat particularly um, there's a bit of a story about that in 1995 in Gibraltar um, which we might come on to later on but anyway um, so um, the, it just cooled me down I just thought this is good this is this is going to be good for me and um on, on the the third lap i just ran away from everybody it was just one of those i didn't even didn't even feel like i was trying it just sort of happened and um yeah i, I had a really good run that day don't get many uh days you know we both do a bit of sport there's not many of those days you get those but they are amazing when you yeah you yeah just... it's just so easy and yeah. you just think well, why can't it be like this all the time yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, struggling to keep the training going so next time it might be like that oh it isn't oh, well maybe it will be next time you know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But you do have those days more than once but it, you know that was one of them it was really good yeah so you obviously you mentioned you obviously went on to uh, uni and in little college in liverpool again was there a focus there sort of moving slightly away from sport to again 
career-wise? What was going through your mind at that stage? Yeah, well, basically, um, I'd I'd not really um, concentrated on my studies as much as I should have done um, in my year. Your ex-people uh, won't like to hear that. <laughs> year 13. Yeah, I mean, I did okay in my A-levels, but I didn't do as well as I should have done. So I didn't get my um, first choice um, uni. I went to um, a college of higher education in Liverpool, uh, which was affiliated to Lancaster University. The place doesn't exist now. It's um, been knocked down. Um, City of Liverpool College of Higher Education. But it was a pretty good place um, for lots of things, really. Um, and um, I put a lot of pressure on myself when I was a junior. Um, no one else, no one put pressure on me. My parents never expected anything of me. I think they were very proud of all the things that I achieved as a junior athlete, but they never, they never pushed me. Yeah. Um, I realised a few things really. One, I mean, I one thing I realised was I set myself up to win this race, this um, Welsh three A's championships, um, and you know I didn't have a plan what would happen after that. Yeah, right. So I won that race, and then I went to a, an international at Meadowbank. And I ran really well in that and won a bronze medal um, in, in a, an international with England, Scotland, um, Wales and West Germany for some reason. I don't know why. That <laughs> Obviously. Uh, so, so anyway, um, so I, 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 was, I was third in that race and I could have easily come sixth or seventh. So I, I was really pleased. Um, so that was good. But after that, um, I basically I ran out of steam. Um, right. You know, I, I basically shot my bolt um, because everything was all about this one race, and then I hung on for another one, and then after that, it, that, you know, it all fallen apart. Um, do you think that pressure, when you look at pressure and putting pressure on yourself, because I think we all do it to some extent, do you think that that's you, you not you, but generally people who do that? Do you think that's the competitive element applying pressure yeah. internally? Yeah, I think so, and um, you enjoy the success when it's there, but occasionally. Um, the proverbial hits the fan and you realize um, I'm struggling now, yeah, yeah. but you're still committed. So I was still committed to going to Crystal Palace to run in a race. I was committed to go and run South Wales against the army and the RAF representing Wales and stuff like this. And I knew I was going to be dragging my you know, yeah. body round over these hurdles and, and it was not going to be very good really. But, um, you know, you, you, I just had to do it. Um, anyway, so there was that element. And the other thing that um, hit me, I mean, when you're a youngster and you're having quite a lot of success, you kind of feel, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to the Olympics. I'm going to do this, do that. And I realized very quickly um, that summer, I was racing against a guy called Colin Reitz, who went on to win a bronze medal in the World Championships um, at athletics over the steeplechase. And there was another guy who I raced, Colin Reitz didn't run, in Meadowbank, which is probably why I got the bronze. <laughs> uh, Graham Fell ran. He was the um, if Fell and Reitz had been there, I would have been, you know, blown out of the out of the water. But Graham Fell ran. He was another English runner, both in the same club, by the way. Right. Uh, I think that always annoyed Graham Reitz because, uh, sorry, Graham Fell because Reitz was a little bit quicker, uh, right. and then um, Fell went and uh, um, took up Canadian citizenship. Um, but he also won a bronze medal at the at the world champs. But the, the the reason for the story is basically these guys were running. I mean, I was running sort of uh, just under six minutes for um, for two thousand steeplechase, which is decent. Um, but these guys were running five thirty eight, five forty two, oh, right. okay. and um, they, they were in another league compared right. to me, really. And so um, you know, 
I put all this pressure on myself and I was still quite early in my, in my sort of experience of running sessions and stuff like this. But, um, I went to uni and, um, I, I, you know, I liked, I liked, um, to be social and, uh, I had a good time at uni. I still did running. I went back to playing football and rugby and hockey and badminton and other stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Still did some running. Um, I still had a few decent results in, in um, college athletics, um, but basically um, I took a bit of a, a backward step. Um, in regard to doing history and geography there, what, what made you decide to do that? Um, I was good at them. <laughs> uh, basically, um, I, my, uh, I took English, history and geography at A level, um, my English didn't go that well at A level, but you know I got enough to get to to, to uni, um, and I did a history geography joint honours degree. Um, it was quite hard work, but on the other hand, um, uh, I enjoyed those subjects, so they were the ones for me to do. Yeah. Um, I took a coaching qualification in 1980, so I'd have been 1920, um, and. Um, started doing a bit of coaching in the holidays when I went back home from, uh, from college. And um, when I finished my degree in 1981, I um, had to make a decision, you know, what was I going to do? Um, I'd applied for a job um, with a, an oil um, company um, and I didn't hear from them. I'd applied to do a PGCE um, teaching qualification. So I thought, well, I'll go and do the PGCE. Um, I am interested in teaching. I'm not sure if it's for me, but it might be. Yeah, right. Um, and if if the if the company get in touch with me, well, you know, maybe maybe I'll go and do that job. I'll see. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I started doing the teaching teacher training. Um, pretty early on, they chucked us straight into um, teaching practice. It was like babes to the slaughter, basically. Um, it was like sink or swim. Um, right. I think I just about kept my head above water. Um, finished the teaching practice, went into lectures, etc. And then I got an offer of a job with Robertson's Research, the oil company. Oh, all right. Um, okay. And I thought, well, they're obviously interested in me, but they'll still be interested in me next summer. Um, I've started this course now, so I think I'll finish it. I wasn't overly enjoying it at that time, um, but I thought, no, I, I'm kind of someone, if I start something, I like to finish it. So um, I decided I was going to finish the, the PGCE um, and my second teaching practice was absolutely brilliant and I decided this is what I want to do. Yeah, right. um, so that's where it came from. And I think a lot of people saw that in me. I didn't see it in me till yeah. I actually went and did it. You see what I mean? Yeah, we mentioned there a couple of years earlier, you've been doing a bit of coaching courses and again, to me, that's that. It's that same thing, isn't it? To learn to then teach other people. So it's kind of, it seems like it was in the DNA anyway to do that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's kind of, um, yeah, I enjoyed working with, I always enjoyed working with people. Um, as I say, very social. Um, yeah. In, in you know, in college in a way that wasn't necessarily good for my running, but it was yeah. good for being in the football team or the rugby yeah, team, yeah. Or whatever, you know. Um, but um but, you know, I always kept in touch with the running and, um, you know, when we moved, well, it wasn't when we moved back to the island, but when I got my first teaching job, um, the first thing I did was actually decide, well, I'm going to start running again. 
and right. I joined. Um, I, I was working in a place called Deeside, which is um, in North Wales, just over the border from England. And everyone thinks North Wales will oh, be a lovely place to work. Well, this was actually um, Shotton, where the steelworks had been closed about two years earlier. Right. So this was a deprived area of Wales, and um, I've never had the ex well the experiences I had at Deeside High School meant that teaching on the Isle of Man was um, an absolute walk in the park. Yeah, right. Absolute pleasure, yeah. Um, the vast majority of people and young people on the Isle of Man, parents were brilliant to work with um, at Deeside High School. Um, it was a lovely school, very, very hard working staff, brilliant people working there, but you were working with some very, very difficult individuals who were going through very difficult times. Yeah, right. Um, and, um, yeah, it was a good place to start your career, really. Yeah, I suppose it maybe gives you a, an appreciation, doesn't it? Having experienced something like tough, I suppose, if that, that's the word early on that you appreciate perhaps when it's when you come to the Isle of Man and yeah. Very much so. Um, and I, I kind of joined um, Deeside Athletics Club, who were Colwyn Bay's main um, uh, sort, of, uh, uh, sort of competition, really. Yeah. Um, so that didn't go down too well, but obviously I lived, um, I worked in Deeside, I lived in the area, so it made sense, you know, and I, I didn't have a car, I couldn't travel back to Colwyn Bay all the time on the train just to, to go training. I had to train with people in, in Deeside. So basically I um, joined that club, started training again. Um, Jan and I got married um, in 83 and then, um, I, I, I was started running steeplechases again, started running sessions, learnt a lot from a guy called Tudor Williams, who was the coach there, um, and a guy who I knew as a, as a kid when I ran for, for Cluid. He was one of the team managers and would often have a chat with me um, at the events that we went to. So another guy who had a lot to get me going and, and introduced me to different forms of training and stuff like this, oh, and I started okay. to learn a lot more. Um, and then 85, by this time, we got our eldest, had our eldest daughter, Elizabeth, um, and we were living in an attic flat in Birkenhead because Jan was working a as a teacher in, in, um, in Liverpool, and I was working in, in Connors Quay. And there's a train route between the two that right. went to um, Bidston, where we lived. So, um, so she could go into Liverpool, I could go into um, North Wales. Um, but it wasn't very pleasant. Um, you know, attic, uh, drafty attic flat, bit damp, bit horrible. Um, so we decided that, you know, I, I'd obviously look for a job and we'd go to wherever I could get a job. Um, and that would either be Colwyn Bay near to my family or the Isle of Man near to Jan's family. And a job came up at St Minion's High School, went for it and got it. And from that point of view, the rest of history came to live on the Isle of Man, summer of 85. And, um, very happy living here ever since. Did you immediately get involved with the, obviously the, well, yeah, immediately involved with Manx Athletics when you came over here? Yeah, um, basically I'd met uh, a few of the guys because um, Jan, um, Jan's sister, Linda Shimon, was married um, Steve Shimon, who's the, uh, you'll know from cycling. Yeah. Um, and Steve was very friendly with a group of lads who are runners, Dave Ronan, Chris Quine, Jim Anderson. Oh, yeah. And I would come over um, and made, with Jan when we were going out or when we first got married, I'd go out socially with these guys, go training with them. And then of course, when we came to live here, 
I stayed a member of Deeside Athletics Club to begin with because the Manx clubs weren't doing athletics. They were, they were going away to run national cross country, but they weren't, they were only running the GRE Cup as it was then. They weren't running a league. Right. So I stayed with Deeside in 1986. And then in 87, Manx AC, as was then, joined the Northern League. Uh, and so I then changed allegiance to Manx AC, which right. later um, joined with Boundary Harriers to form Manx Harriers in 1992. So originally, um, that's how I got involved in athletics on Ireland. Of course, this early stage, I was training with a load of guys, Steve Kelly, Dave Newton, Chris Quine, Jim Anderson, um, Nick Hannay, um, all these guys. All, you know, it was a very competitive group. And um, we did a lot of training with Morris Herriot, who, of course, was a steeplechaser. Um, right. Olympic silver medalist. So um, obviously that was uh, something that um, encouraged me to join that group and, and get myself to train as often as I could. And of course then picked up a whole host of more experience with training sessions and things that you could do um, to help make yourself quicker when, from the point of view of hurdling, et cetera, et cetera. And of course this was a time when there was no track on the Isle of Man. So we were training on roads, on hills, um, on grass tracks, etc. Um, but you know, it didn't stop us running fast. So yeah, you help and train others at this stage, coaching others. Um, yeah, well, um, in nineteen eighty-seven, um, it was January. Um, I sort of identified that you know we were all doing all this training um, to get ready for the national cross country and other cross countries in England. Um, but we weren't doing any um, core work, um, circuit training type stuff. We weren't doing anything like that at all. So I um, set up a session in 1987 and um, I still run that session every winter. Um, last one finished just before, well, it didn't finish. It finished abruptly because obviously the COVID-19 um, uh, sort of uh, pandemic caused um, all the training to stop. But um, Basically, I've run that session, however many years it is, um, since um, still still running it now. So, 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 I mean, looking at the kind of race results through, through the, I suppose, the next 10 years and, and up beyond that, there's so many to pick through. Maybe, uh, I mean, those certain maybe sort of late 80s, early 90s, which ones stand out to you for your performances? Late 80s, uh, I think I have to say... Um, winning the Ireland Games 10,000 metres in the Faroes. Um, firstly, um, because it was um, my second Ireland Games, I went in 1987 and um, I ran 5K and 10K. Graham Clark won both um, and I uh, got silver in the 10 and bronze in the 5. And um, you know, I, I was really happy with that. Um, but in 1989, I was running re pretty well. Um, I'd had a bit. I'd had a. I'd had a few issues. Um, my father passed away in the Easter of that year. Um, died. Died very young, really. Um, and um, uh, it was kind of a difficult time in that sense. Um, I'd also had a, a couple of injuries, niggly injuries, which had sort of slowed my training down. And Chris Quine and I, um, around about Easter, embarked on about 12 weeks of kamikaze training. <laughs> we were either going to be totally fit or we were going to be completely injured or shattered come the Ireland Games. Uh, and the answer was we were, we were very fit come the Ireland Games. 
So um, I'd run a couple of cross, um, couple, not cross country, sorry, a couple of um, track races on grass. Um, Chris had run, ooh, something like, I can't remember now, 157 or 156 on grass for 800. I'd run two minutes, 0, 0, 0.1. You know, it wasn't really my, my event, but I could obviously, I had a good turn of pace, obviously, for a 10,000 meter runner, what I was aiming for. Um, Chris ran the 15 and the five in the games and won um, uh, a gold and a silver. And I, and I, no, did he run? I'm trying to think now. He, yeah, I, I can't remember now. Chris run, did he run the, and anyway, I can't remember, but Chris ran, he ran the 15 and I think he ran the five. Um, anyway, I ran the, yeah, he won the five and he got the silver in the 15. I won the 10 and got the bronze in the five. Um, but I set um, the Island Games record as was in that um, 10K final. And the other thing about it was on the track, Graham Clark was basically um, almost seen as unbeatable on the Isle of Man to a degree. Um, certainly over 5K, 10K, Graham just had this knack of being able to turn the screw and win the race. He was a very, very good athlete who potentially perhaps could have achieved even more, but had a few issues with injuries and stuff like this, which perhaps got in the way. And he probably wasn't at his best in um, 1989, but um, I, I beat Graham in a sprint finish last 400 metres in that um, particular um, uh, 10K. And of course, um, Gordon Crowe ran the Island Games 100 metres record that day with about a six metre per second wind behind him. Um, we ran into that 25 times. Oh, um, yeah. but, uh, anyway, it was, um, uh, I mean, that, that's another day when everything just went to plan. I remember at halfway, the time being shouted out and it wasn't particularly quick. Uh, and I just remember thinking, this is easy. It's so easy. In fact, I almost smiled. I, I tried to stop myself because I didn't anyone to see that I was feeling confident. You know what I mean, I wanted to keep that inside and, you know, they could find out in the last 2K or the last 800 how confident I was. Um, and it all, it all kind of went to plan. And the representative of the island and the, the anthem and that, is that something that does make your hair stand up? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I sing the, an the anthem, uh, or I have, well, I haven't done... I haven't done an Island Games uh, medal ceremony for a long time uh, for myself, but um, um, no, I, I, I sang the anthem every time. Um, in fact, in, in, um, in the Pharaohs, Dave Anderson, who was in the team at the time, um, I was doing 400 hurdles and 800. Um, Dave um, gave us all uh, the words, a little piece of paper with the words. Uh, I made sure I learned them so, uh, so I, could, uh, I could sing the anthem in years to come, which um, yeah. I've been able to do. One of the other notes down here was the uh, record holder for the 1500 chase. Oh yeah, well, yeah, I, I still um, I still hold the um, Isle of Man 3000 meter steeplechase record, uh, 918.5. I wouldn't say it's the fastest in the world, obviously it's not. Um, but you know, uh, I ran that in a Northern League race at Stanley Park in Blackpool. Um, I was probably about 20 seconds ahead of the next guy. But it was another one of those days where everything just clicked and I just ran up my skin on that day. Um, and then I also ran um, the same year, actually, ran a 1,500-meter steeplechase um, as a bit of a warm-up um, event. Um, and um, I ran um, 418 
point something. Um, you know, you can ask any um, sort of senior distance runners, you know, what's it like running under 420 for 1500 meters? Well, stick 17 hurdles in as well and have a go at doing it. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I basically, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can hold a, a fast pace for a period of time. I wasn't able to hold it as long as some on say 10k or half marathon on the road um but i could do it for a reasonable time on the track yeah so you also won half marathon medals as well at the games that's something else yeah they they were all team medals um so i think my sort of best position was about fifth or sixth something like that in island games half marathon so i was always a decent team uh player so to speak yeah yeah um so one four um, golds and one silver in teams and I think I counted in three of the teams and was um, the third the third non-scoring runner for two of the teams but um, it, you, you still count to a degree because you're adding to the scores of the other runners by finishing in front of them even yeah, if yeah. you're not in your first uh, two for your team so it's all sort of grist to the mill helping the, the team go on and be successful. Yeah right. And for maybe uh, slightly my own ego, you were going to mention about the 95 games. And part of the reason I ask as well is because I was at that games. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Probably about 95. Didn't you um, do a lot of work on the front for the team? And <laughs> I'd like to think so. But yeah, ask them, they'll probably say different. But let's go with that story for the moment. That's fine. I remember fine. a picture of you and you were sort of grimacing really badly. And guys probably were... All the race, to be honest. Your hamstrings because you'd completely frozen or something. I remember the I mean, the road race was horrendous. That in yeah. one, well, it was early morning, but yeah, it was just. I mean, I was only young then. I was like eighteen and probably in rally out of my depth. Uh, but yeah, it was. Yeah, I just remember it being hot as well again because it was down in Jib. Uh, something I'm, you know, a Manx pasty Manx boy. It wasn't there. Yeah. Wasn't for the conditions. For me, well, as um, for me, it was uh, it was similar. I ran the steeplechase and I ran the um, half marathon there. Looking back now, I should have run the steeple. Uh, no, not the steeplechase. What I said, I ran the ten k and the half marathon there. I should have run the steeplechase, but I didn't because I didn't have a water jump. So in my head, it's not a proper steeplechase. Right. So I'm, not, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so. Um, um, so I basically uh, did the half and the 10 and the 10 was the first event. It might have been the same day that you did the road race because it was brutally hot. It was something like 38 degrees. Um, there was literally no shade on the track. Um, we'd had advice about uh, hydration, etc. And I think I'd perhaps taken it too far. I just drank loads and copious amounts of water, whether I'd washed all the minerals out of my system i don't know but um i really struggled in the latter half of the race and um there's a few funny stories with it but uh, uh anyway i i struggled and um the guy who won the race uh kim gofferton he was off um i think he lapped everybody in the race wow. i i was basically running for second place with the guy um i came third in the end um but there was this guy with me from um Oh, uh, from Gotland, I um, can't remember his name now. Um, and um, basically I was trying to get away from him and I was working hard all the way to try and escape and he was managing to hang on. Um, and um, I can remember, it was in the days when they were very strict about water and you weren't allowed to have water. 
that you could drink in, 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 in the race on the track. They didn't do water, did it on the road in marathons, but not, not on the track. So, um, but they, they said that they would give us um, sponges. So I can remember they, they gave given us these sponges after halfway. So I remember thinking, I'm absolutely gasping for a drink. So I remember thinking I'd sponge my, my head and then I'd run around and I got another sponge. I thought, right, I'm just going to suck the sponge. <laughs> so I sucked the sponge and it was soapy. <laughs> it's obviously, oh, lovely. Nice. It's what they've been using to wash their cars. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the Island Games, isn't it, for you back yeah. in the early days. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, so I, I, I can remember the last... What I remember is with about two laps to go, 600 metres to go, me thinking, right, use those arms, really work those arms. My runners or people I coach will know I say this sort of stuff to them. I was really trying to work these arms, really trying to work hard, break this guy. Um, and actually, he obviously ran away from me at some point. I don't, I don't remember the last lap of the oh, race. Right. Um, I finished the race, um, collapsed over the line, um, ended up being taken to hospital. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I recovered and... Um, I uh, basically um, ran the half marathon four days later okay. uh, and came about seventh and ran okay. Um, was ha happy enough in the run and we won the gold team yeah, gold right. and won the race overall. Um, but the, the joke was um, about, the, I think, the day before the half marathon or two days before, um, so a couple of days after the men's 10K, it was the women's 10K. And um, the race was on and it was sort of, going around the track etc we were watching the race can't even remember who won it and how it went um but what i do remember is they were putting the hurdles out for one of the hurdles finals in the home straight and um they, they got the hurdles out and they just left the first three lanes open for the runners in the 10k to go by and the joke going around the manx team was if they'd done that for the men's 10k i'd have never finished because i was i was across all the lanes going down <laughs> to finish so i'd have been crashing into hurdles and everything else so um, it's a good job they didn't do that um, for the men's 10k. Yeah, I mean, cl clearly a great pedigree, and and that obviously that continues. You talk about many or all the steeplechase records on the Isle of Man through the vets categories as well. You then represented the GB in the vets later on. You know, jumping into 2000s here. So, yeah. see that pedigree of training and, and and racing just through the age categories continued. Yeah, basically, um, I learned a lot at Gibraltar about myself, really, because you, you can force yourself to do anything, it proves. Um, and I also learned that you go on holiday, whether you go in there to have a lovely time on the beach with your family, you take your kit and you go out when it's hot and you do a bit of running because you need to get used to it because athletics is a summer sport and even in the UK, it can get very hot. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I've always done that since and actually... Um, you know, I've I've actually done well in in hot races um, since then right. because I've learned an awful lot, especially and about hydration and, and how to take the, the right stuff, not just any old stuff to try and um, rehydrate, etc. Um, but yeah, going on to um, into the um, veteran years, um, I won the um, the vets UK um, vets championships in two thousand, um, and um, basically. Um, I was top ranked over 40 vet for four years. Right. Uh, then in 2005, I went to the world championships. I came fourth or fifth there. Very hot day. That wasn't the reason. It's because um, it was um, early September and I'd gone there with the family 
and we had a holiday then I ran the steeplechase and then we came back home and I went to work because uh, it was work kind of about two days later and it wasn't the right way to go about running a, a veterans championships because obviously I was tired from the whole season never mind the fact I'd had a, a, a week on the beach before running a race um, next year I went to the Euro champs um, and I said right I'm going there to run a race yeah so, yeah. Um, yeah so I went there two days before just to acclimatize and have a look around um, ran the race came back um, the day after you won uh, bronze there bronze there yeah and there's was quite, a big, quite a big race with the local favorite Polish guy um, Lankuki, his surname is, I don't know if I've said that correct, Stanislav Lankuki. And um, basically, um, he just got past me on a sprint finish. I was, um, I was in third place at the bell. Um, I was in fourth place going into the, um, into the water jump, which is about 150 meters before the finish. I got up into second place just before the final hurdle. And then um, I was third place crossing the line. So it was backwards and forwards. Yeah. I, feel, I feel a bit sorry for the German guy because he was chasing the Spanish guy who we all knew was really good, um, went off too hard. And on his last lap, he went from second to about sixth. All right. He went backwards. So, um, but yeah, yes. Quite good oh, memory of the races. That race then. The race, you have quite good memory of races. Does that tend to, does that tend to just stick in the memory? Just think yeah. about my own experience. Yeah. I have none. Yeah. Races and um, times and stuff like that um, tend to stick in the memory quite well. Um, sometimes get a bit confused, but usually in the right area, if not, if not too exact. So yeah. I know in that race I ran 10.16, um, which wasn't that quick. But then it was, again, it was about 38 degrees and it was in Poland, but it was absolutely boiling. And again, there was no shade. So you had to warm up in the, you know, in the, in the, in the hot sun, etc. Um, so I ran um, a fairly conservative start to the race, but I finished like a train. Um, unfortunately, the local Polish guy did as well. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I noticed that he ran the um, um, world champs um, as an over 60. He's about a year older than me um, last year or the year before, and he won it. Um, right in 714 um so i've been um basically um from about the age of 40 you know 48 yeah i had a lot of um um muscle problems um hamstring um hamstring issues had some calf issues had a knee problem so I would do, I'd do about six months training, then I'd be injured for three months, then I'd get about three months training in, then I'd be injured for six months. And it would go, went like that for about eight or nine years. Um, mm. So I lost a bit of um, form, really. Uh, yeah. um, it also um, sort of fitted in with the time when my career in teaching, I became a deputy head right. um, in 2001, and then I became a head teacher in 2009. So... It was kind of that kind of extra pressure with work. Yeah, yeah. Was actually, um, you know, I probably wasn't looking after myself well enough um, in between training. So I was getting more, I was getting injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was going to ask a little bit about those injuries. I mean, aside from, 
and you know use the word getting on in age but you know naturally as we all get older we're more likely to pick up injuries but you were you then you talked earlier in your career about often training hard by this time had you started balancing that training and knowing when to train when to rest or were you still always a go hard type of trainer and then um, that impact those injuries yeah i i've always been someone who's trained on the track so i've always been someone who's trained fast right um, and that has been what i think when i was running well enabled me to run at a good um standard um but obviously if the muscles and the joints and the tendons and ligaments are getting a bit stiffer and a bit tighter and you're trying to run fast then potentially um, you're going to damage something or pull something and I think I was doing that a bit too often and I'm probably getting a bit carried away I do a couple of good sessions feel like everything was coming together and then um, I do I'd overstep the mark and end up you know hurting myself or whatever and and there'd be a problem so yeah. so you know a few few situations like that really I think most you know I can't speak for Matty but well I'm sure you're the same as well Matty where you do and sometimes you certainly feel like you say you feel like you're getting form as well and natural instincts to train harder to think oh I can build on this and to have that mental switch to go no I actually need to back off here yeah uh, go against yeah I've just said I've done it myself where you want to keep pushing 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 yourself and then next minute you're not listening to your body and then suddenly you're, you're out for however long and then you think oh should have probably when my body was warning me listened to it but as you said, it's kind of comes sometimes with that mentality of wanting to push yourself in that competitive environment. Yeah, so um, I agree. And, um, you know, I'm always saying to my athletes, you know, listen to your body. <laughs> in fact, to my athletes, I'm quite often saying, well, you don't need to do that. Have a, have a break or have a day off or do an easier session. And they're, they're probably quite mad with me sometimes. But, but on the other hand, I know that sometimes that's the best advice because you know, athletes are going to push themselves hard no matter what because they want to do well. They're competitive people. Um, so actually giving yourself a bit of a break from time to time is a really good thing yeah. because you can overdo it. And just obviously on, you mentioned the teaching there and through the years and moving up. Was that uh, obviously teaching gave you a lot of satisfaction, I guess, as a job career? Yeah, very much so, yeah. yeah. Um, when, when I did um, that teacher training, the first teacher teaching practice, my, my, my thoughts were, oh, what have I let myself in for? And then the second teaching practice, um, which was a longer one, which is where you really um, kind of find your feet. Um, I, I just loved it really. And um, that was me. Uh, I started working, as I say, quite a hard school. Um, but, you know, I, I rose to that challenge and I think I did well there. And then I came over to um, the Isle of Man at St. Ninian's and I was very lucky um, that, I mean, I worked in the same school on the Isle of Man for my whole career. I didn't go to other schools. Other people move, have to move from place to place. Uh, I never planned to be anything more than a teacher. Um, it just, uh, opportunities came up and I thought, well, oh, I think I, I could do that. So, and I applied and obviously people thought, well, yes, you could do that. And I got the position and, um, and I moved on. So it was never, you know, I know some people are very career orientated and I've got to be a senior teacher or a, an assistant head by this age and then I've got to be a deputy head by that age and a head teacher by this age I never ever thought I would be a head teacher um, right. it's something that developed over time um, and um, you know I'm glad that it did I've enjoyed every role that I've had in my teaching career um, yeah 
Yeah. And so let's dig into coaching. So obviously that's a that's a big part of what you've done and what you do now. So maybe looking at the early early day, looking back on your career and going, you know, who who had big impacts on you to coach you and how you then, you know, perhaps they inspired you to to the way you coach now. Yeah, it was obviously the two teachers, Mr. Evans and Mr. Cuffin. Um, they, 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 they sort of showed an interest, um, which perhaps other people hadn't done. Um, and that was, a was something that kind of, you know, it's something that is such a beautiful thing about teaching. Um, if you can show an interest, it's amazing what kids can do. They just suddenly, you know, they, they realize someone's interested in them and, and, and want them to do well. And it's not just their mum or dad, it's someone else. Right. And that kind of can, you know, so I kind of see teaching and coaching as the same thing, really. So yeah. I, I still see that in a way I'm still teaching. It's just I'm doing it all through coaching now. Yeah. Whereas before I did a bit of coaching and a bit of teaching and a bit of competing. But, you know, it, and I, I'm, I see the same with my parents, really, with their work and youth work and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, they were teaching to a degree as well because, yeah. you know, you're, you're working with young people and setting a good example and showing them ways that they might like to live their lives. And, and you know, hopefully that's something that they respond to and react to and then are inspired by and go on and do great things, whatever that might be. Um, and I always had the belief that in school, um, every kid had something that they could do. Okay, some of them might be extremely frustrating and annoying or whatever, uh, but everybody had something, something that they could do that they could take forward and they could achieve. Um, and, you know, it, 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 I, I'm sort of, I just look back now at the number of people who are back on Ireland who, um, you know, are head teachers themselves who I used to teach or guys who work in shops or in bars and they'll have a chat with me and say hello or whatever and we'll have a chat about who they are and where they're going because obviously I can't remember everybody's name. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, it's just it's just lovely. It's brilliant, and in a way, that's what I've brought to try to bring to coaching. Um, yeah. You know, it's as important to me the guy who turns up, wants to do a bit of keep fit and get a bit fitter and stronger, and maybe um, becomes a, a bit of a runner who's who's decent, as someone who might um, have um, aspirations to represent um, the UK uh, on the track or over cross country. Um, and obviously I'm lucky enough to have helped people to do all of those things. One of our earlier pods, mini pods we, we did with you, we talked about the, the Foxy Challenge. Rather than digging into that again, people can go back and listen to that. But I think one of the things, I'm not correct, ultimately for you, for, for, for athletes, is about participation and that enjoyment of the sport, the sport itself. Yeah. Whether it's yeah. athletics or not, I guess, but obviously primarily for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think um, enjoyment, fun has, has got to be a big part of it. So the guys who are in my training group, when we train hard, um, but we also have a bit of fun as well. So if you're going down the track and you're doing a hard session or you're doing a cross-country session um, on, on sort of off-road, um, there's no reason why you can't have a laugh at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to put yourself through it no matter what. And then you're hopefully going to see the benefits of that when you go to your race. Um, but um, it should be fun as well. Yeah. So what I've tried to do for the guys on the Foxy Challenge is to try and give them um, a variety of sort of training um, principles and, and training sessions to yeah. keep that fun element going rather than it just being going out 
for a run like I was doing when I was 16. Yeah, I didn't right. Yeah. I was going to say, I wonder whether that, that enjoyment part was, was bought, perhaps bought in for something that you didn't necessarily experience yourself when you were younger. It was more just... Um, yeah, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed running, um, but it was more about competition for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, you're right. Um, possibly a little bit more now. Um, you know, a bit more of a mature attitude to it all, really. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. Um, but you did say about the coaches that have influenced me, and obviously people that, um, like I mentioned, Richard and Arthur and Tudor in North Wales, Morris, when I first came to the island. Um, but a guy who um, was one of the guys, at the tutors at my... my um, I've, I've gone through about four or five um, reorganisations of UK athletics coaching. So every so often you have to go back and take the course again, even right. though you've been doing it for so many years or whatever. Um, and the last time I, one of the last times I did that, this guy called Jeremy Harries, who was the Lancashire team manager at the time, who I knew as a, an athlete because I was running for Lancashire. Um, um, and I was watching him at the, at the coaching course and watching him with athletes. And I thought, that's the, that's the, that's the kind of coach I want to be. So yeah, we're right. talking about the early 2000s here. And yeah. then, I went to a British um, Milers Club um, course um, um, early on as well at Loughborough and George Gandhi, who's uh, one of the top coaches in distance coaches in Britain. And um, it, it was really inspiring listening to him. And then another guy, Merrick Bousfield, unfortunately passed away a few years ago now. Um, the likes of Trevor Christian, others will know Merrick really well. Merrick was a thrower. Right. Basically, um, I got to know Merrick well um, because we um, we didn't have uh, someone at the time uh, when I was team manager of the Isle of Man um, to help us with our throws athletes. So I got Merrick to come over and do some coaching and things like this. And then he also took on a role as um, uh, assistant team manager at 2005 Island Games. Um, and basically, um, he just had such a a really calm way with his athletes. Um, and I thought, again, that's the kind of coach I want to be. I don't want to be someone who's shouting and jumping yeah. up and and get, you know, I want to be someone who um, can put across the message, get it done in a sensible way, um, but you know, above all, keep, keep things calm and in, in perspective. Um, so those guys you know, um, really learned a lot from, from them. Um, and I would say I learned a lot from other guys in athletics who I trained with, people like Chris Quine. Yeah. Um, Chris knows an awful lot about athletics and training and got really got um, um, a good result out of himself you know his own experiment of one with himself as an athlete yeah he, he got a, a really good result out of himself over time so um, learnt a lot from him as well I'd imagine yeah Pop Paul being ultimately a good coach is keeping open-minded to don't think you know everything and continue to learn off other people yeah, yeah. yeah. up until the day you're not doing it I agree there, Cole Heartily. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I kind of um, feel that sometimes I'm not a very good coach. Um, I, I feel that, uh, you know, quite, quite a lot of introspection, looking at what I do um, and thinking about how I can do things differently and better. Um, why did I do it like that? I shouldn't have done that. I should have done it this way. Um, so, because there's always been that part of me which has been fairly quiet and and sort of introverted and, and looking at what's going on um, before sort of stepping out there. And so, I mean, it wasn't necessarily easy to um, agree to have the podcast, although 
probably thinking I can't stop talking, but once I get going, <laughs> it's hard to stop. But, um, but yes, so I just think um, that side of, um, of your character is really important though, because it means that you analyze things, evaluate things, and, and that's what you have to do. Look at what went well, look at what didn't go well, take the good bits out, don't get hung up over the bad bits, move yeah. on. And when I was a kid, I got hung up over the bad bits. Yeah, right. I think uh, that, that looking and, and reflecting on your own performance, ultimately, even if it's as a coach, is it's like anything. It's like business yeah. relationships, anything. You've got it. You've got to. You have to look back and see what lessons you can learn to do do whatever that is better. I don't think that's that's a. I think that's something essential to people. I think if you just go around in this bubble of well, I did it right and that's it, and not not learn, then you're not better on yourself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so I look well, at. I Sorry, no, you go. a lot of a lot of the um, you know, the reason for the really pushing the coaching. I'd been doing coaching in the nineties, and as we said before, started one session in nineteen eighty seven. Um, around about it was um, Guernsey Games in two thousand and three. I think the Isle of Man only won two distance running medals, and they were won by athletes who were over the age of forty. Um, Jackie Ashman. I think it was um, one, I can't remember now, say 1,500, 5,000 or 5,000, 10,000, something like that. And um, myself won um, bronze in the steeplechase. Um, and it was fairly obvious that we had to do something because, um, you know, the, the sport was not, we weren't producing the athletes. So it was around that kind of time that kind of got involved in, in doing this. And um, I suppose also, around the time that you know i was moving into veteran athletics and whilst i was still fairly competitive at island games level it was only going to be there for a matter of time really i wasn't going to be able to hold that that um, ability for an awful lot longer yeah. so that's when the coaching kind of really kicked in i would say yeah so looking at that so you won coach of the year in 04 was that yeah. was that a surprise to you at the time or was that Nice yes, yeah, yes no. I mean, there were professional coaches on the Isle of Man in swimming and I think gymnastics and other things like this. And they, they could easily perhaps have um, taken that award and maybe they did other years. I've been nominated lots of times, but I, I won it on that particular occasion. Um, obviously, I had a, an athlete at the time um, who was, you know, a top notch athlete or he wasn't a top notch athlete, perhaps in people's eyes. Um, initially but obviously people realized that he was and that was Keith Gerrard yeah. so I had a group of young athletes who were training with me um, and Keith um, went on you know we were going to national cross countries and things like this and I never ever thought um, that I would take um, an athlete to a national cross country and that they would win a medal mm. um, but then to actually go and win a national cross country because um, Keith won it in 2005 as a junior when yeah. I was coaching him. You know, Keith won a bronze, silver and gold um, in um, different national cross countries uh, when I was working with him and also then go and compete in the European Championships uh, representing Britain and win medals um, yeah. as in, a in the team and also be Britain's top finisher in the world cross country as an under 20. Um, you know, for, you, for you as a coach, that satisfaction of that, how does that rank to competing yourself do you get more of that oh, yeah. or I would say um, probably the highest thing the most satisfaction for me uh, was Keith winning the 
um, junior national cross country championships in 2005. We, we uh, chat to Keith earlier on on one of the earlier early pods. Seems good enough to to dial in from the states. So, have you got any uh, funny funny uh, or uh, stories you'd hate hate to hear in public? Uh, um, uh, well, I can think of a few that would be very embarrassing, but I, I won't go down uh, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, not without any trainers or something like that. No, I mean basically, I mean Keith was always a very, um, he was very dedicated to his training, um, very hardworking, and um, obviously had a natural aptitude and wanted to make the most of that. We all have a natural aptitude for something, um, which I've said before is my belief with all kids, really. Um, yeah. but we definitely had one for distance running. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would say that was, that was his biggest advantage, that he was determined to make the most of it. Um, funny stories. Um, I remember going to um, Sorry, Keith. a race. Uh, it's, not, it's not that funny in a way. <laughs> uh, but we went to this particular race. Um, in um, London, it was the London Cross Country Championships, and it was being used. They didn't have a proper trial for the Euro Champs, and it was being used as a trial. So I took Keith down there to run in this race. Now he didn't run particularly well in that race, and I can't even remember whether he made it into the GB team. He did in other years, but this particular year it didn't go particularly well. I don't think he was uh, feeling that well actually. On the day of the race but anyway the point is we'd done the race it, okay it wasn't brilliant we but it was okay we can learn from it back to the hotel and um uh, it's in london uh, we were staying um near russell square in quite a quite a nice hotel got quite a good deal and um basically said to keith so we had the, the saturday night and you know keith is basically teetotal which is great for, for you know for an athlete um and we sort of said, well, we went out for a meal and sort of said, okay, well, um, we'll go to a couple of pubs. I'll just have a couple of beers and we'll have a chat and then we'll head back and then we're on, you know, on the plane early home tomorrow. He's about 18 at the time, something like this. So, yeah, yeah, fine. So we went out and we were in this particular pub and we're, we're at the bar and we're talking away about athletics and whatever. And um, all these people were staring at us and thinking, what are they staring at us for? What's going on? And then the barmaid comes up and she goes to Keith, are you a jockey? <laughs> they all thought that there's this guy, this small guy who looked really fit and whatever. They all thought he was a jockey. So uh, again, all these questions about was he a jockey? Um, and of course, we had to say, no, no, he's a distance runner, blah, blah, blah. Because uh, of course, jockeys have to be careful with their weight and all this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so it's not very funny really, but um, it was uh, a bit of a laugh at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was an interesting chat we had with him. I must say, I didn't know his background or even I suppose his pedigree. He's not really certainly during a lot of his years. Never really followed Manx sport, but yeah, certainly a, an impressive CV. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Of course, he went on to um, uh, St Mary's University, where he trained with people like a guy called Mick Woods. Um, mm. I was kind of nominally coaching Keith in his first year at uni and then he moved on to kind of UK athletics coaches um worked with Mick Woods for a while then a guy called Nick Anderson um he did very well with Nick Anderson and then he moved in uh, moved obviously to the uh, USA and worked with um Art Asivo um yeah. make it maybe got the name slightly wrong there but um but yeah so because even then I mean Keith was going away to America training hard 
um, and then he'd come back to the UK and he would go and run in the National Cross Country or the Intercounties and he'd stay with the Manx Harriers team um, and he'd be on our bus to and from the races. Yeah, right. So um, he won two nationals as a as a senior and um, you know we had the uh, the trophy on our bus. Oh yeah, uh, there's yeah. a funny story. And there was on one occasion, um, Keith gave us, uh, Keith couldn't come back to the Isle of Man straight away. So we had to go back to the Isle of Man and he said, would we take the trophy back for him? Oh. So we said, yeah, yeah, we'll take the trophy back. So we had the, the trophy with us. We had to look after it. And Johnny was looking after it um, on this particular coach journey or whatever. And, and we had the trophy out and we were like holding it up sort of thing. And it got put down on the side. And then the coach went around a fairly sharp corner and the trophy went flying and, and hit the floor. And we were all like, oh, no, because it's about 100 and something years old. This right. <laughs> um, luckily, it wasn't damaged. And, uh-huh. Very quickly got put away into its box yeah, 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 yeah. after it better in future. But yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe Keith should have kept it on him. So, I mean, young athletes now or athletes coming through of, of the guys you see within athletics, I'm sure there's many you could name, but who kind of stands out <laughs> on the local um, scene? Well, I mean, guys who are training now and are sort of under 20s or seniors, obviously David Malarkey, he's a guy who I helped for about three, three to four years. Um, he's now uh, working with Adam Henderson in Leeds. Um, he's been with Adam, I think, two years now. Um, and you know, David was breaking some of Keith's records um, for the shorter distances, like 1500 meters, etc., on Ireland with me. Um, you know, he's now moved on again um, there. So David is someone I think such a shame for him because it would have been a, a good year for him to run some fast oh. times this this summer, I think. Um, but you know, maybe um, we'll see him doing that next summer. I'm sure he's dedicated and training hard. I know it's the sort of lad he is. Um, Rachel Franklin, um, obviously, coached Rachel for something like seven years. Um, and in that period, she's gone from, you know, a very good athlete to multi medal winning Island Games athlete, multi medal winning athlete in Northern Championships, representing, um, well, running in the British Championships running numerous Manx records over many, many different distances. Um, you know, we, we parted ways fairly recently, um, but, you know, we've got a lot of time for Rachel. She's someone who works exceptionally hard and is very, very dedicated to her training. And um, I'm sure she will go on and perform really well over time in the future. Um, I'm coaching a group of youngsters, mixtures of ages between... 11 and 15 i'm not going to mention any names there because i don't want to put any pressure on them mm, you know, yeah. it, i want them to enjoy what they're doing i want them to go on and be fantastic athletes um but they might be fantastic athletes who do this or do that they just might not be as good as this person or that person yeah, yeah. in someone's eyes and i, I that that doesn't matter um, so long as they are happy and they enjoy what they're doing. So uh, I don't want to mention the younger ones, but um, what I would say is that we have got some very good youngsters at the moment. Um, and I'd like to think that some of those guys will come through. And the thing that I'm really happy about is that some of these guys are interested in the steeplechase. 
kind of part of a bedrock of learning about just life skills i guess within within the sport environment yeah i think um sport is you know it's closely related to life in many ways i mean yes some people win the lottery and some people are very lucky and are born with you know and inherit a lot of money or whatever but most of us don't you know what we get out of life is what we put into it if we put a good effort into it we'll get a good life out the other end. That tends to, what, tends to be what happens. And in most sports, it's the same. And yeah. I would say definitely athletics and distance running, it's the same. If you put the effort in and you work hard, you get the results. Yeah. If you um, yeah, cut corners, shortcuts, yeah, yeah. there aren't any. Yeah. It's down to hard work. And the other thing was just really, I suppose, I'm sure obviously winning the sport, uh, uh, you know the coaching award a number of years ago but i do find it interesting when matt and i first talked about it in the podcast it was talking about people one with clearly very good athletic ability also willing to spend their own time and their own efforts uh, also leave a legacy which uh, i'm sure or i'd like to think you get a lot of thank yous for that uh, within people around this around the sport i suppose it's it's important although i've obviously never run thankfully with my knees uh, but certainly from a sport side of it, uh, guys like yourself, without that, a lot of these sports wouldn't even happen, let alone produce good athletes. So, yeah, I suppose it's just a thanks from everyone, I guess, who you've ever helped. Um, yeah, I mean, people are very, very, very nice. They they do say thank you. And um, um, I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes you think, why am I doing this? Because so occasionally, you know, we all get a bit down, don't we? But at the end of the day, um, I love helping people to progress and develop and that was my career in teaching um, that's been my my own sort of um, aim as a sports person and an athlete and that's my aim as a coach and I think I've, in the notes I sent you I, I quoted a guy called Percy Serity um, I think he's overstating it when he says I'm not interested in athletics because he obviously was he's an athletic yeah, yeah. Um, I'm interested in progress fix your goal and work for it and this guy and you coached, like yeah yeah and he coached a guy called Herb Elliott and Herb Elliott was an Olympic champion um, 1500 meter runner but the thing about Herb Elliott is that he was unbeaten in his whole career over 1500 and the mile all right and, um, obviously he ran something like three minutes 34 in 1960 you know you'd, you'd you'd possibly get to the Olympics um, running three minutes 34 now. Right. So it shows you what a fantastic runner he was and obviously what a fantastic coach Percy Serity was. So you know, I, I kind of feel that sort of sums it up in a way. Yeah. Uh, I love seeing people progress and the way to do that is a bit of organisation. It's not rocket science. Think it through, a bit of variety, have some fun along the way, work hard and you'll get there in the end. I mean, I'd not like to one-up him, but I'm undefeated in the 1500 and, and the uh, mile as well. But I've never ridden, driven, uh, ridden one, r uh, run one. So I suppose <laughs> the plane's not quite as good. 
well, okay. yeah. <laughs> obviously he he had plenty of people um uh, sort of challenging him yeah, well. yeah, 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 yeah yeah but yeah it's one of those things isn't it um um I, I, there's so many um, stories in athletics and I think in any sport you could find it in cycling yeah. as well where you can look at individuals and what they've achieved and take great inspiration from it yeah. and I've always always done that with um, with sport in general my wife thinks I'm just mad uh, she's not interested in sport at all right um, she you know she 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 sort of pretends she's interested in what I'm doing but you know, no they're not even then she's not that bothered really as long as I'm happy <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, so you know, in the house, if there's any free time, and I've got the telly to myself, sports on. Sport. So yeah. Well, thanks for your time today, Andy. It's been much appreciated. The uh, for those listeners, if you go go back a few episodes, you'll find a, a mini podcast about the Foxy Five Day Challenge, and that'll give you some more information on on how to get involved and how to get active. Again, it's just it's not about ability or, or what you want to do; it's just about participation and, and, and a healthy lifestyle. So, so again, thanks for your time. No problem. Do you want to check us out, Matt? Yeah. So wherever you're watching or listening today, please like, subscribe, share, and leave those five-star reviews. Pretty please. Social media, Facebook, we're the N-Word Podcast. Twitter, we're Manx, Pod, Manx Sports Pod. And on Instagram, we are the M-Word IOM. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for letting us get in your sexy ears. It's a word out from Mark. Word out from Matt.